Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. I'm entitling this message A Prophetically Strong Finish. And we are a prophetic people, and the only alternative to being prophetic is to be. We're either going to be prophetic or pathetic. And I made up my mind, I'm not going to be pathetic. Amen. The more we pray, the more prophetic we'll become. And the less we pray, the more pathetic we'll become. So we have just concluded 40 days of seeking God and faith and sacrifice. And I just want to testify in the last 40 days, listen carefully, has God answered a prayer for you? Has God healed, provided, changed something, given you revelation, impacted your prayer life, you know, helped you think, help you think differently about a situation and it's made a change and a difference. If that describes you or whatever you want to demonstrate by the lifting of a hand, let's just testify and say the last 40 days have been significant. Come on, look around, look at this. The last 40 days have been significant. So it's not been wasted time, amen? Praise God. Do you believe the Lord has heard your prayers? So just remain standing for another moment. Have you ever found yourself in the Bible? Have you ever been reading the Bible and it came to you? You know what? That's me right there. You should have that experience at least once in your life. Because the Bible, yeah, it's old, but it's new. And it's prophetic. And it is as up to date as any Googled headlines you will find today. Do you remember three years ago this month when we began to cast vision for finishing strong and we were preaching from Zechariah chapter four. In fact, I'm just going to read it to you. Verse six, Zechariah four, six. He answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Say that fast 10 times. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, wipe you out. And he shall bring forth the capstone. That's the last stone of construction. It's the final piece. And when they bring it forth, you're going to shout grace, grace to it. Somebody say that right now. Grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. He started it and he's going to finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. How many remember when I was preaching with a hard hat and a plumb line, throwing a plumb line around? I don't even know what the crazy things are for. But it preaches, praise God. And that's where we are. These are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout 
the whole earth. So by the help of the Lord, I would like to deliver my heart to you, a prophetically strong finish, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm just going to sort of meander through the book of Zechariah. And when I get inspired, I'm going to stop, drop, and preach. Is that all right? Stop, drop, and preach. When I began to study Zechariah three years ago, as it applies to us, I could hardly believe how perfectly the story of Zerubbabel and the children of Israel parallel the life church. I found us in the Bible. We're there. It's amazing. For example, for 20 years, the temple remained unfinished. You know, we're at, we were at 15 years unfinished. The vision was not yet completed. Another example, God sent prophets to stir up Zerubbabel. God used the prophetic, not the pathetic, but God used the prophetic to come alongside Zerubbabel. Let me tell you something. When you get the prophetic alongside leadership, what's even better than that is when some of your leadership team is prophetic. But when the prophetic comes along, or if I could say the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that's Ephesians 4.11 for you Bible students. When the prophetic comes alongside leadership and leadership alongside the prophetic, it's something very, very powerful. It's a powerful combination because it gives insight and it gives strategy. And we don't just work harder, but we work smarter because we can work in the will of God and God can direct us and give us insight. Then the Lord said, the mountain that stands before you, not a literal mountain to Zerubbabel, but the project. Have you ever felt like what you had to do was like a mountain? How am I going to get this done? How am I going to get this mountain out of the way? This project seemed to Zerubbabel like an insurmountable mountain to climb, much less remove. And if you understand Zerubbabel's context, he's got obstacles. First of all, to finish the temple, people are burnt out on it. People don't want to hear about it. They're a small group of people coming out of exile. They're defeated. They're broken, busted, disgusted. He's got a ragtag bunch of people. These aren't like super wealthy, super, you know, in, with ingenuity and creativity. And, you know, they're all artisans and craftsmen. And, and Zerubbabel's looking at these people and saying, what? This is what you gave me to work with? And then he's got knuckleheads like Sanballat who are resisting him and fighting him. And he's got to confront him. And then he's got to gather these disbanded Jews from afar and convince them that it's time to come back and help the project. And so we can relate to that because our unfinished project here at least to me, because I live with it every day. I sleep with it. I eat it. I drink it. 
I dream about it. I want to get this done. Maybe you just think about it on Sunday when I slap you in the face with it when you come into church. But I'm thinking about this every day. This mountain, these four unfinished projects, the children's wing, the event center, expanding the sanctuary, retiring our mortgage. Friends, this is literally 14,000 square feet, which is larger than most of the churches itself in America that we're trying to complete, that we're trying to finish. And then we've got this. Have you ever heard the expression a mountain of debt? We have a significant mortgage. But listen, let me give you the good news. This campus originally was five million dollars to build. And on our books today, we have assets on this campus of over six million dollars. And if we were to build this house of worship again, almost 50,000 square feet, it would be at the cost of over eight million dollars. And we owe about two and a half million on it. And we've never been late on a payment. And we thank God for it. Amen. It may seem like a mountain, but God says, I'm going to wipe it out. Come on. Are you ready to see it wiped out? Are you ready to see God do something? I know I am. I'm ready. I'm way past ready. Ha. Amen. And then the last things that the prophet said to Zerubbabel he said, when you bring that last stone, everybody say the capstone. He said, you're going to be so excited because you knew it was not by might. It was not by power, but it, it was by my spirit. When I realized, I love to preach that verse. I've preached it for 40 years. It's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I never knew it was about a building program. <laughs> I thought it was just about, you know, casting out devils and making disciples and, you know, reaching the world with the gospel. It's about a building program. Can I tell you that every ounce, every square foot, every block that's laid, every yard of concrete that's put down, every stroke of the paintbrush, there's going to be resistance when you're advancing the kingdom of God. And when you're increasing the square footage of the impact of an apostolic church in a city, the devil doesn't want to see it. The kingdom of darkness doesn't want it to happen. The city delayed us all kinds of stuff and obstacles. But I'm telling you today, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. And the Lord says the mountain that's before you, I'm going to level it like a plane. And when you bring that last stone, when you bring that capstone, when the last stroke of the paintbrush has happened, and when the last tile has been laid, and when the last chair is put in place, you're going to bring that capstone and you're going to shout, grace did it. Grace did it. Grace did it. Come on. Somebody rejoice with me right now. We're a part of something that that's bigger than ourselves. And we've been on this journey for years and it's coming to a conclusion. Hallelujah. Here's one thing you need to know about the word of God. And when you're interpreting and applying prophecy, you need to understand this. Prophecy has layers like an onion and you, you think you got it all. And then you, then you're somewhere else in your life and you peel back another layer. Like, oh, there I am again. It's sort of like 
Have you ever had anybody recommend a book to you and that, oh, this is the greatest book. You got to read it. It's amazing. And you're reading it and you're like, what? This is the dullest book I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Why is that? Because you are not living where that person was living when they read that book. It's not talking to you because you're not there. And this is why the Bible needs to be read every day because you could read the same verse every day for a year and you might be at a different place today than you were back in December. Amen. I've been reading the book of Acts over and over and over this year because our theme is building a New Testament church. And I want to make sure, amen, that this church is like that church as much as we possibly can be without their context. But thank God we have their God. We have their doctrine. We have their gospel. We have their authority. Amen. We have, amen, the apostles doctrine and fellowship. We have their prayer. Praise God. But revelation is like an onion and, and you just keep peeling it back and there's something else there and something else is talking to you. And you need to understand that prophecy, amen, has a, has a now and a then element. Something's here now. You can look around and see it, but it's not all here yet. It's here, but it's coming. Everybody turn to somebody and say, it's here. Say, and it's coming. And so as I'm reading the book of Zechariah again, I become quickened to go past chapter four. And I'm looking at chapter eight. And in chapter eight, and just give me a moment. I'm sort of ramping up here. I, I got the engine, the jet engines turned on and. You know, we're getting ready to taxi down the runway. And so everybody just say, this won't be a helicopter. This is a 747. But once we get it up in the air, we're going to go somewhere. So in chapter eight, there are several references to Mount Zion. Which is one of the seven mountains around Jerusalem. And Zion was dedicated as David's mountain of worship. There was 24 hour worship going on 24 seven. Anytime you were in Jerusalem or coming to Jerusalem or leaving Jerusalem, you would hear the praise team. You would hear the band. You would hear the instruments 24 seven. Zion was a place where God was exalted constantly and praised and worshiped. And Mount Zion is also a reference not just to David's worship center, but to the entire city of Jerusalem. In fact, Mount Zion and Jerusalem are often used together, if not interchangeably. And Zion is metaphorically used by David and other prophets as a place where God hangs out. A place where God dwells. So Jerusalem and Mount Zion are prophetic Old Testament references to New Testament church on the earth and the New Testament church redeemed in heaven. For example, in Galatians chapter four, Paul is situating Sarah, Abraham's wife, as the free woman and Sarah's servant, Hagar, as the bondwoman. And he's illustrating the Old Testament law is like the bondwoman of grace and the New Testament free woman is like Sarah, 
And in verse 26 of Galatians 4, Paul said, but Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. If you are born again of the water and the spirit, you have a heavenly father and you have an earthly mother. Your heavenly father is Jesus Christ, who is the giver and the blesser of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that very clearly over and over in the New Testament. And you also have this institution or this organism that is alive and well on earth called the church. It is God's bride, his representatives on this world. But the church is not only only here on earth, but it partially is already in heaven. And someday all of the church will be raptured to heaven. And so we have something now and we have something then. And Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. Aren't you glad you have a spiritual mother today? There are no orphans in the kingdom of God. So Zechariah chapters four and eight are a prophetic message to Zerubbabel about finishing the temple. But it's not just about that. And this is what I want to talk about today. After the temple is finished, when the capstone is put in place, prophetically speaking, God shows Israel that this is going to trigger a series of events. When you finish your stuff, the Lord says, I'm going to get started on my stuff. And I feel like we are in a vortex of prophetically doing everything we humanly possible can do. We're obeying God. We're doing everything we can. But I'm telling you that all the while we're doing what is humanly possible and we're working like it all depends on us. Amen. God is getting ready. Amen. The trigger is happening because of your gifts and your prayers and your faith and your faithfulness. Come on. This is going to launch a series of events that I'm getting ready to share with you from the word of God because we are a prophetic people of destiny and God's hand is upon this house today. Yes. Amen. Look at Zechariah chapter eight, verse one. Then another message came to me from the Lord of heaven's armies. Everybody say heaven's armies. Does that sound like angels? I'll talk about that in a minute. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. So let me ask you a question. Does God love a mountain? He didn't love a mountain. Does God love a city with streets and dirt and dust and buildings? And No. What does he love about a mountain? He loves what's going on on the mountain. What does he love about a city? He loves what's going on by the people who do what they do on the mountain and then take it out into the city. Amen. The only reason God loves Zion is because it's a place where he's worshiped. Amen. Where he's adored, where he's exalted, where nobody's fighting against him, where everybody's in unity and harmony and everybody's singing his praises. If you were God, wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you like if you had an ego like God's got? Hallelujah. Amen. If you were a narcissist like God is. Oh, I know that's not politically correct. Let me tell you something. This is not a democracy. This is a kingdom. And Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we don't get to vote. 
vote on anything in the kingdom of God because this is a kingdom and it's going to be his way or no way. And the reason God loves a mountain is called Mount Zion is because he always gets his way there. He's always worshiped. He's always loved. He's always praised. He's always adored. Come on, Mount Zion. You're the spiritual Mount Zion. Let's give him something that he loves right now. Amen. He doesn't love this building with the carpet and the chairs. He loves the people that are in this building. Amen. He loves the people that are in this place. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Give him something he really enjoys. Give him something he really loves. He loves Mount Zion because it's a worship center. Oh, we heard a great message on Saturday night about praise and worship and we're still feeling the effects of it today. Hallelujah. God inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. I know there's two men that have already lifted up their hands and said, had it not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? There's a woman here today who said, I just had to come to church because God brought me through COVID. And she's here today to offer a thanksgiving to God because he brought her through COVID-19. Has he been good to you? Has he blessed you? Did he put clothes on your back? Did he put food in your refrigerator? Did he give you transportation? Are you glad you got a sound mind? <laughs> he doesn't love a mountain. He loves the people on the mountain. Oh, hallelujah. He doesn't love a city. He loves it when the people that come to the mountain, I'm going to get to that in a minute. How many knows we're on a mountain today? Come on. Did you have to ascend all the way here to get here today? Unless you came from the south. If you came from the north. If you were walking up this hill, you'd been sucking air by the time you got to the top. You ascend all the way. And who's, why'd they put this bicycle lane out here? That's been out there two years. I have yet to see one bicycle. Bureaucracy at its finest. Oh, that, I just had a therapeutic moment right there. I don't know what you all do for therapy, but I'm having mine right now. <laughs> Praise God. Look at verse three. Now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion. I will live in Jerusalem. Don't you love that? Amen. That means he checked out because of their rebellion. I'm coming back, God says. I'm coming back. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. Like Jerusalem, it's significant that the Life Church is built on this summit. We don't brag very often here at the Life Church. That'll get you in trouble. But can I just brag on Jesus? The psalmist said, I will make my boast in the Lord. Did you know that the Life Church is set at 954 feet above sea level. 
almost a thousand feet. The architect told us that this is the highest commercial building in the entire Kansas City proper. Now, my friends, you can call that a topological or geological whatever anomaly. But I say this is where God wanted an apostolic church on the highest. There, there's a religious group about two miles west of here. They'd love to have this property because their theology says that if, uh, you know, if we have the highest place and then they build a big prayer tower on it, that they have dominion. Well, they ain't having dominion in Kansas City because we got here first. And I know two other pastors in this area, very close to this area, who both told me and despised the fact in a fun sort of a Christian way that they didn't find this place before we did. In fact, when we sought out this property, there was another church that had it under contract. But the Lord had already spoken to us. Say, how do you know the Lord had spoken to you? I'll tell you why. Let me, here's the journey. My wife and I are driving around. You are driving around. We looked at 300 pieces of property. She gets out of the, She says, stop right out here. She gets out of the car. She walks across right to where our driveway is and falling down in tall grass about this tall is a for sale sign. Now, who knocked the sign down? Who's hiding the sign? Who said, come on? That's what I'm talking about, little Gloria. Amen. Who knocked that sign down? And the prophetess, the Queen Marlene, she goes over there. I don't know if she's inspired of the Lord. She picks up the sign. We write the number down. It's under contract with another church. But I told the buyer, I said, I don't think they're going to be able to get their money. Or the, the realtor, I don't think they're going to be able to get their money Together And 90 days later, guess who's busting up in his office with a cash money check, praise God, to buy this property. That's just for starters. Not too long after that, before it was ours, I brought the apostle to India, C.P. Thomas. We come up here for a sunrise. We got up here about six o'clock in the morning. We started praying. He lifted up a, a sandstone from the ground and I lifted up one before anything was up here. And while the sun was coming up, we were prophesying and testifying from the rising of the sun till the going down of the same. He prophesied. He said, Lord, your children will come here. Babies will be born here. People will obey the gospel here. I can still hear him praying and seeking God. The man of God was up here praying with us. Looking at 300 pieces of property and we move 500 feet in any direction, somebody's going to lose, right? We took four major votes and the only vote that was 100%, not one vote less than 97%, the only 100% vote was to buy this piece of land. And James Moore had been coming up here praying and he took me aside. He said, Pastor, View High Drive is it. He prophesied to it. Finally, in desperation, very few times have I ever put out a fleece. But I fleeced the Lord on Wednesday of Easter week, Holy Week. I said, Lord, I want confirmation 
once and for all that view high drive is it i want you to have somebody call me today that never calls me and let them bring up this property that was at seven o'clock in the morning about 10 o'clock that morning i get a call from a guy named buzz delaney i hadn't talked to him in over a year he said stan i thought about you this morning i said oh you did my heart starts pumping i said when did you think about me he said i found the property it would be beautiful for your church i said where is it he said it's right there at the top of the bluff on the south side of 470 of View High Drive. I'm telling you what, I got up and shouted in my office. I was thanking the Lord. I got confirmation. Amen. The prophetess saw it. James Moore saw it. Charlie Mahaney saw it. You mentioned it Wednesday night. We are a prophetic people. We have the witness of the elevator company. Caleb was 15 and his buddies when they found the oil can that said Otis Elevator Company. So this is a faithful house dedicated to the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. You know what? People actually get saved here. I can't say that about every church that calls himself a Christian church. This is why we're building a New Testament church. We're not building a Reformation church. We're not even building an Azusa Street church. They didn't have everything. They were going back, but they didn't get all. Some of them didn't get all the way back. We're going back to the beginning. People actually get saved. I'm not picking fights with anybody. I've told this church many times, any pastor that has a Bible on the pulpit is not my enemy. I'm celebrating. I'm rejoicing. I'm finding the common ground. But I feel the spirit of Aquila and Priscilla who took Apollos aside. He was mighty in the spirit. He was fervent in the scriptures. They didn't take anything away from him. They didn't put him down. They just said, we got another layer of revelation to pull back for you, Apollos. Hallelujah. And he was baptized in the name of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became a prolific leader in that first century church. I want to tell you that I know for a fact, I can't speak for any other church, but I know that people get saved in this church because I know sinners repent and those repentant sinners get baptized and have their sins washed away. Can I tell you something? You don't get your sins washed away until you get baptized by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way it was preached on the day of Pentecost. That's the only thing that will wash your sins away. <laughs> Verse four, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. I love this. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and their walkers and their wheelchairs. And they're going to sit together in the city squares. What does that mean? That means the elders are going to have, they're defenseless, they're vulnerable, but they're going to feel so safe. They're going to feel so protected that fellowship is coming back to the elders. Look at verse five. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. Wave your hand back there, brother Sam. Wave your hand. Higher. Get it up. There he goes. There he is. Sam is 90 years old. Everybody say happy birthday, brother Sam. He's our oldest, but one of our newest church members. This is Tina Bidinger's dad. And I was walking through the narthex a couple weeks ago, and I saw him sitting on that bench 
when you first come in these double doors to the left. And he had his cane and kids were playing and running around and walking back and forth. And every time you look at Sam, he's got a smile on his face. I love that. I don't like grumpy old people. <laughs> I could have said grumpy old men. And praise God. The Bible said that the elders are going to come back. Are we have any canes? Anybody with canes in here today? Can you, Pam, you still got your cane? <laughs> it's in her car. She had a knee rebuilt. She doesn't need it anymore. Hold, well, I'm going to hold that cane up. Get that. Anybody else got it? There we go. There's one cane right there. We don't have Vonda here today. She was in the hospital, but she's back home and we got her wheelchair and we got any walkers. Oh, look, we got to rattle that walker. He gets 10 miles to the cheeseburger on that walker. The Shaws are right behind Sam, upper 80s, the dryers and then children. You know, some churches, all they have is old people. And I can talk about it because now I'm old. I'm like David. I was young and now I'm old. I got the gray hair to prove it. And you all put that gray hair on my head. <laughs> you don't like it, blame yourself. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've served this church long enough now to dedicate babies. To see them obey the gospel when they're Young children and teenagers, they fall in love, marry them, then dedicate their babies. I've heard pastors brag about our church is so young, we're just, everybody's young. Well, that ain't nothing to brag about. That's not healthy. Amen. A church to be healthy needs to be a multi-generational church. It needs to be a multi-generational church. And I was thinking about Sam. There are four generations of Sam in the life church. Sam, Tina, Michelle, and Landon, and Cameron's here today, home from Urshan and Braden. And we thank God for the Williams family. Do we have any other four generations here at the life church? Any other four generations? I know we got lots of three generations and lots of two generations, but four generations. Praise God. Listen, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that these elders are old enough to have been through some fires and have been through some things. And they're coming to this house with canes and walkers and wheelchairs, but they're still coming. Praise God. God has still been faithful. Amen. That's all I need. All I need is to see Paul Shaw wheel in here and say, if he can live for God for 70 years, then who's to stop me? If I see brother Sam, hallelujah, the God that brought him through is going to bring me through. We thank God for a multi-generational church. Amen. Praise God. Verse eight, six, verse six. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. This, all this may seem impossible. Everybody say impossible. It seemed impossible when we were a church of 200 at View High Drive. At 7020 South Richmond. It seemed impossible, but here we are. 
by the grace of God. I want to say to Byron and Reagan, it may seem impossible to one day have a hundred connect groups, but we're going to have a hundred connect groups. It's going to happen. Amen. To Paul and Kim over our Celebrate Recovery. Others in Celebrate Recovery in the community and beyond have said we shouldn't try to do children ministry and youth ministry. It's impossible. You can't do it. But by the grace of God, we're going to do it. And we're going to impact families. And we're going to see entire families healed. Greg and Amber, it may seem a magnificent thing to get this children's wing up and to get it finished. And it's been dragging on and we're ready to get it done. But God is going to help Help us to finish it. And I can still, people, I can hear them buzzing in the door. Let me tell you something really exciting. I found a mural artist. I'm going to spill the beans. A mural artist. When you walk into that children's center, there's going to be eight Bible stories as big as life on the wall. What kid would not want to walk in a children's center like that and get swallowed up by Jonah's whale and blow, amen, the, the, the giant with David down, hallelujah, with a stone and a sling? Who would want to see Jesus stand up in the bow of the boat and say, peace be still? Who would want to go anywhere else? Nathan and Datha VSM is going to make disciples. We're going to start P7 clubs. We're going to have campus ministry. We're going to make connect groups and Bible studies. The Lord said, I will rescue my people, verse 7, from the east and the west. How many knows God can rescue? He said, I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. God can rescue. God knows how to drive an ambulance and a fire truck and a squad car and a life flight helicopter. God is in the rescuing business. And God said, I'm going to rescue them from the east and the west. This is our prophetic destiny. Let me tell you what my theology is about backsliders coming back. We can love them and we can reach out to them. But I'm going to tell you something. That really is the work of God. It's more the work of God than it's going to be about you. If God's filling with the Holy Ghost, they still got the Holy Ghost. It's dormant. It's, 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 it's asleep. Amen. But just like the prodigal son, the father didn't go out looking for him. Amen. We can, you know, there's been revivals planned about backsliders. Let me tell you something. That's not the way it works. Let me tell you the way it works. When, when, when uh, Jonathan and his armor bear defeated the Philistine garrison and Saul was scared in his tent and Jews had left and they went to the camp of the enemy when they heard that Jonathan had gained the victory. There's somebody right now that's waiting for your victorious testimony. When they heard that Jonathan had taken out the Philistine, the Bible said they started coming back. And that's what's going to happen. There's revival at the Life Church. There's peace at the Life Church. There's joy at the Life Church. Come on, mom and dad. Amen. Love them and call them if you want to. But I'm going to tell you what the real work of calling his children from the east and the west. God's going to do that. When we have revival and we conquer the enemy, God is going to bring them back. Somebody shout out on that right now. God will rescue them. Okay, I got to I got to wrap up. Listen to this verse 9. Be strong and finish. Is that what it says? Be strong 
and finish the task. You, he said, ever since the laying of the foundation of the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies, you have heard what the prophets have been saying about completing the building. Turn to somebody and say, finish. Okay, here we go. Verse 10. Before the work of the temple began, no jobs, no money, nobody's flourishing, no visitors. Now, the Lord said, I'm getting into your business because you got into my business. What it looked like for you personally before you finished the temple is not what it's going to look like after you finish the temple. This is why we've got to finish. And we've got to finish strong. And next Sunday, I've already got a message. I've got a word. And let me just situate it for you. Those of you that were here three years ago, and then 18 months ago when we committed and there was three boxes at the top of that commitment card and one was the money that we found in our budgets, right? The first one, we've, everybody say our budget. The second box was a one-time liquidation of an asset, the sale of a car, a motorcycle, a lake house, whatever we weren't using, we want to dedicate. And some of that happened. That's a one-time. Those are budgetary items. Those are things that we control. But that third box is out of our control. That was the trust God. I got a revelation for you and I'm not going to tell it to you until next week. I want you to be here to hear it. But God is saying, if you will finish strong, you will trigger a series of events. I'm in the I'm in the book. He said before you needed jobs, you needed resources. But you stuck your necks out. You took the journey of faith. And now there's going to be an after picture. What happens here in this house affects what happens for your house. What you make happen for God's house, he is going to make happen for your house. God says things were one way before finishing strong and now after finishing strong, they're going to be another way. Did we not already hear it Wednesday night? Did not one man stand up here and say eight months ago during finishing strong, I got delivered from smoking. My job increased a hundred percent and God filled my youngest son with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did not another person stand up and say during finishing strong, I've had five raises. Hallelujah. Didn't somebody else stand up and say, my portfolio has increased by 200,000. I'm going to stand up and testify and say the investments that my wife and I have made have doubled in the last three years because of our giving to finishing strong. I've come to tell you, we have testimonies in this house. What you make happen for God, God is going to make happen for you. Are you ready for one more? This is what blows my mind, and I know that's a small explosion. During COVID, our attendance has dropped almost 100 people. But guess what? Giving is up. Why is that? Less people giving more. I'll tell you why. Because of bonuses, raises, jobs, provisions, 
God has turned things around. Come on. Come on. God is a God of blessing. This is not prosperity gospel junk right here. This is be faithful to God. The Lord said, test me and try me and see if I cannot pour you out a blessing. Pressed down and shaken together and running over. I will cause men and women to pour into your lap. Everybody stand with me. I'm not finished, but I'm going to quit. This is really where it gets good right here. Verse 11. But now I will not treat the remnant of my people as I treated them before, says the Lord of heaven's armies. People look at this. I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity. Look at this. When you finish, your grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops. Heaven will release its dew. And Israel will inherit these blessings. <laughs> it's one thing for you to plant seeds, but God says, man, you've been doing such a good job. I'm going to start planting seeds. <laughs> I'm going to start planting seeds in your garden. Let me tell you something. If God plants a seed in your garden, it's not going to fail. It's going to come up. I'm telling you when we finish, this is a spiritual journey of faith. And I wish I could get everybody to understand this. I want God to start planting in my garden. I want God to start planting seeds. Amen. Where I planted seeds because I don't know about my seed, but I know his are going to be fruitful. Look at verse 13. So among the other nations, Judah and Israel become symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple. The Lord says, you're not going to be a joke anymore. You're not going to be a symbol or an icon of failure, of rejection, of no resources. God said, instead, I'm going to bless my people until when you look up blessings, you're going to find them in the dictionary right next to the word blessings. The Lord says, amen, I'm going to make my people a symbol of prosperity and peace. Come on, I'm speaking that over this house right now. I know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been pastoring this church for 33 years and I've lived long enough to see the people that trigger faith by giving sacrificially. God blesses them. I hesitate to say this. When we did our first capital campaign over 20 years ago, 20 to 25 years ago, there was not one donor that gave more than $5,000 to the Life Church, and that would be a wonderful gift. Now there's over 100. Why? Because we've been blessed. Come on. I want God to break poverty in our city. I want God to break the spirit of poverty. Come on. It's not the will of God for you to live hand to mouth. There's only one way you're going to do it, and you've got to give first. You've got to give first. Come on. You've got to give first to the Lord. Am I in the book right now? Hallelujah. 
Amen. You've got to give first to God. This is what I'm going to talk about next week. Amen. That trust God box. There's a trust God factor. There's a trust God factor. Man's math said one plus one is two. But God said, oh, no, one will put to flight a thousand. But when you put two together, it multiplies and it goes to ten thousand. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, God is the God of the God factor. When you give him your five loaves and two fishes, that'll just feed you. But you put it in his hand, he can feed 20,000 people. Verse 13, so don't be afraid, be strong and get on with the rebuilding of the temple. I just feel it when we put that capstone in. I told the contractor this week, I said, Ed, hold that capstone. I don't want that bricklayer putting that on there. I want to put it on there. And we're going to do it on a Sunday. And I'm going to have it up here on the pulpit. And I'm going to walk out of here with it up over my head. And we're going to shout grace to it. Grace to it. We're going to walk out there. And we're going to set that capstone on the corner of that educational center. And we're going to shout and dance and praise God and thank the Lord for it. The Lord said, get on with the finish. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm prophesying to this church right now. When we set that capstone, it's going to trigger a series of events that God is going to make what you think is impossible. He's going to make it possible. There's going to be a before and an after picture. He's going to sow in your vineyard. He's going to plant seeds in your garden. So I'm closing. Ethan, would you please come? Listen to this. The traditional facts and times of mourning, verse 19. You have kept in summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter. God says no more festivals of mourning. Now they're going to become festivals of joy and celebration for the people of Judah. So love truth and love peace. God's getting ready to turn somebody's sorrow into joy. Somebody's mourning into dancing. Come on, somebody grab that right now. Grab it. Come on. Say, God, you're going to turn my sorrow into joy. For three years, I've been sacrificing. I got to be honest. I'm going to be glad when finishing strong is over. Because that means everything's going to be done. But it's been a fun journey. It's been exciting. I'm not, I don't have the mully grubs here today. But I am so ready for celebration and joy. I'm ready for peace to come to somebody's marriage and to somebody's family. I'm ready for peace to come to somebody's troubled child right now. Lord's trying to talk to us. He's trying to confirm his word. If you have it, speak it. Thank the Lord. I'll tell you what I felt. I'm just not going to say this as authoritatively as I normally would because 
I'm not sure that I had the word, but I feel like what God is saying is that God is going to right now turn somebody's child loose from bondage. I feel that's what's happening right now. Somebody's child is being delivered right now. Come on, somebody's child is being set free. And we're gonna testify and we're gonna turn that mourning into dancing. We're gonna turn that sorrow into joy. Come on, they're coming home from the east and the west. God's gathering them, he's rescuing them. Oh, I feel a heavy prophetic anointing right now. Come on. Somebody just lift your hands and open your mouth and prophesy blessings. Come on. Prophesy the goodness of God. Prophesy provisions. Something you don't like, come against it. Something you're not accepting, take authority over it. Come on. You don't have to sit there and take it. Come on. Open your mouth. Lord, you're going to turn it for me. You're going to turn it for me. You say, well, I don't have any kids. Well, someday you might have a child and you'll need this prophecy. <laughs> Lord, they're coming home from the east and the west. They're coming back to Zion. They're coming back to Jerusalem. Ah, <laughs> oh, the Lord said people are coming. The Lord said nations are coming. Hallelujah. They're going to ask for the blessing of the Lord in this house. They will come here to seek the Lord. Families are going to come to this house to seek the Lord. The Lord says he's moving them from around the country. And they're going to come here. And they're going to believe again. And they're going to trust again. And God is going to turn their captivity. <laughs> The Lord said, 10 men will get a hold of one Jew and say, teach us, show us. What is that? It's our prophetic destiny to go and make disciples and to multiply. One becomes 10. Ha, I pray that you would baptize 10 disciples this year. So here's what I want us to pray. This is our altar call right now. 11 times in this passage, God references the Lord of heaven's armies. This is God's angelic warring angel force. And it's time for us to call on the Lord to send his angelic force to fight for us. He tried to take out Two of our good leaders this week. You say, well, you're being a little dramatic. Well, maybe, but I'm on, I'm on high alert right now. When Danny fell down those stairs, Angela sent a picture. He looked like he was dead. He looked like a dead man. 
I'm on high alert. I've been praying over you, over your families, everybody that calls this house the household of faith. We need to rise up and pray and ask God to send his warring angels to protect us, to keep us, to keep our children. We've got another family that's in a battle right now for their son. Amen. Let's pray right now that God will protect. We know that Satan is on an all out attack. So I need some mothers, some prayer warriors. I need some dads. I need some brothers and sisters. Let's call on the Lord to send his angels. Come on. Let's call on the Lord right now. Lord, come and fight for us. Come and fight for us. Come and fight for us. Come on. If you know how to pray, pray. If you know how to pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit. Pray over your children. Lord, pray over your schools. Pray over your schools. Not one act of violence in any school where any child of this household of faith goes to. Not one act of violence in any vehicle that leaves out of this parking lot or parks in any one of our driveways or garages. Not one issue, Lord, in any job where we go and work. Lord, not one act of violence. We come against, Lord, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent taken by force. Lord, the best defense is a good offense. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. Come on, where are your protective, where are your protective instincts? Come on, the Lord of heaven's armies. We're calling on the Lord of heaven's armies. We're calling on the Lord of Heaven's armies. Oh, somebody plead the blood. Somebody quote the scripture. The name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous run in and they are safe. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him shall I trust. A thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it shall not come near my dwelling. In the name of the Lord, we're standing on your word. I come against death. I come against darkness. I come against suicide. I come against depression. I come against anxiety. In Jesus' name. <laughs> come on, get the Lord on your side right now. Get the Lord on your side right now. That's it. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Get the Lord on your side. If it had not been for the Lord on my side. Oh, there's something going on. Come on, there's something going on in the spirit world. Be vigilant. Be prayerful. Be watchful. Do not leave this house unprotected. Do not leave this house unprotected. Pray a protection. Pray a covering. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we fight for the prophecies. We fight a good fight. We war a good warfare. Come on, pray over your school, kids. Pray over your school. Pray over your teachers. Teachers, pray over your children at school. Lord, we come against the enemy. We know he's placed on high alert. We know that the devil's stirred up. 
Lord, he gave it his best shot. We're victorious. Ha. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, Mount Zion. Come on, spiritual Jerusalem. This is why God loves us. This is why he loves this place. This is why he loves this mountain. He loves the people here. He loves what's going on here. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. Somebody break through for Kansas City. Somebody break through for your neighborhood. Somebody break through for your neighbors. Break through for your friends. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.